Welcome to our third podcast in our new series of, of podcasts on employment law. I'm Brian Powers, the Director of PCC Employment Lawyers, and I'm, I'm joined by the other director of the firm, Helen Carter, and our colleague, Solicitor Jacob Reddy. Um, for those of you that have not listened to our podcast before, the purpose of these is for us to address a specific area of employment law and, and you know, hopefully have a, an, an in-depth discussion about that area. We try to choose an area um, each fortnight, which is sort of currently in focus, uh, either in focus because it's come up a lot for our clients or because it's in the media. Um, today we're going to be focusing on flexible working arrangements. Um, for those of you wanting more information, um, there's also our book, which is an employer's guide to Australian employment law. Um, this is available on our website, or if you want to give us a call, you can you can order a copy that way. But I think if we start off with with Jake, he can answer the, the key question, what are flexible working arrangements under Australian law? Thanks, Brian. So the, the right to request flexible working arrangements is one of the 10 national employment standards. It's in section 65 of the Fair Work Act. Um, so eligible employees who meet certain criteria are able to request flexible working arrangements with their employer. So this means flexibility with things like the hours of work, the patterns of work and locations of work. Um, so what is, Helen, in your experience, what are, what are some of the, the most common requests that um, you get from clients regarding, um, or re requests for assistance, sorry, I should say, regarding <laughs> requests for flexible working arrangements? Well, the most common ones are probably around working from home. Also people wanting to work part-time, but increasingly there's a wish for people to not reduce their income by working part-time, but rather work from home. Also different starting times and finishing times. So that's things like, uh, you know, being able to maybe start earlier and finish earlier so you can go pick your kids up from, from school sort yes, of thing. Some, that, yes, yep. that's exactly the type of request that is commonly made and often commonly met by employers and able to be met in um, the Australian workplaces. Yeah, so not just anyone um, is able to make one of these requests. Uh, under the Fair Work Act to be eligible to request flexible working arrangements, um, employees must um, be either a parent or carer of a child who is school ages or younger, um, or they must have a disability, be 55 years or older, or be experiencing family or domestic violence, uh, or providing care or support for um, a member of their household or family member who is um, experiencing family or domestic violence. Uh, so there's also some requirements as well uh, that full for full-time and part-time employees, they have to have had at least 12 months of continuous service with their employer to be able to make a request. Uh, and for casual employees, it's pretty similar. Um, they must have been em employed on a regular and systematic basis for that 12, same 12 month period. Um, but they also have to have a reasonable expectation of continuing employment uh, on a regular and systematic basis. Um, so Helen, what's the, what's the reason for this 12 month um, sort of waiting period, I guess, for, before people can um, make, make the request? Well, my thinking, Jake, in relation to that is that in, um, the Fair Work Act is, is drawing a balance between the rights of the employers and the employees, as it often does. And it's taking, a view has been taken that if someone applies for a position, um, they're expected to be able to fulfil the position as defined by the employer. 
Obviously, this is subject to some uh, discrimination legislation that we can we will talk about briefly later. But in terms of flex or work in the Fair Work Act, um, they're basically saying that if you apply for a full-time job and accept a full-time job, you're expected to work full-time. Otherwise, you shouldn't be applying for that job. Now, after 12 months continuous service, there's a recognition, I think, that things can change or that you know, you've, you've proven yourself or you've worked hard in a job and by that stage, you have the right to make a request for some flexibility around the arrangement. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that sums it up really and, and it sounds a bit harsh, but if, if you want flexibility when, you, when, when you're looking for a job, look for a job that's flexible. Well, that's right. You know, don't that's don't right, apply exactly. for one that's not flexible and then make a request. So that yep. there is that. It's probably sound policy policy grounds for that for that twelve months. But um, often the the request that we deal with very very commonly it's it's combined. You know, the, the request comes in as, as as part of a return from uh, parental leave as well. Exactly. The, the, the provisions work together handily in that way. In in, in that sense. Yeah, I think a lot of the the cases that have sort of gone all the way. Um, you know, to court over that, that's what they're commonly dealing with as well. So, yes. um, yeah, so if, if, if an employee makes a request, um, there are a few requirements about how that, um, or I guess the form of that request, it has to be in writing, it has to set out the changes that they're requesting, and it has to explain the reasons um, for the requested change. Um, and after receiving the request, the employers have to provide a response in writing uh, within 21 days, whether that's being accepted or refused. So, Brian, what, in your, your well, in, in your experience, but also, I guess, just sort of at that, the general level, when can employers refuse the request? Well the, well, the Act really says that requests can only be refused on reasonable business grounds. Um, and it's important to highlight that word reasonable in the sense that wherever this comes up in in legislation, it's 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 not the ordinary meaning of the word reasonable, and it's not what's reasonable to you or reasonable to me. Or, or in, in a sense, the reasonableness always imports a, an objective test into the equation. So it's very much the the man on the Clapham omnibus sort of test. What would the man the, on the, the Clapham the classic <laughs> the Clapham or, omnibus or say? more likely in Australia, the man or woman in the pub. The yeah, pub the, test. the pub, the pub test. test. Yeah. Well, I, I do think. Yeah, that's the man on the Clapham omnibus. Is you know that has been queried. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that he has a dutiful wife at home looking after his children and probably a nanny as well. So doesn't require the flexibility. He doesn't have a car, of course. But <laughs> I, basically, the reasonable business grounds. And look, these can include the, the, these can these are going to be specific to the business, but they can include things such as the the requested arrangements are too costly for the business. Um, other employees' working arrangements can't be changed to accommodate the request. Um, if new employees will be need to hired to be hired to accommodate the request. So, so for instance, if someone wants decides they want to go from five days a week to two days a week, and and that job would then involve somebody being hired for the three days, um, the request would result in significant loss of productivity or have a significant negative impact on customer service. So, so those are the types of things. But again. It's not as simple as saying, okay, I don't think that request is reasonable. The, the, the reasonableness of it is is subject to objective analysis, um, which we'll talk about talk about in, in, a, in a little while in terms of who, who would review that if there was a dispute. Yeah, so 
Thanks, Brian. Um, one thing that I think's interesting, and it's not dealt with sort of specifically in the NES, is what what should an employer do um, when there are multiple competing requests? Um, and I suppose sort of a further to that, what happens where there's sort of this accumulation of requests? Um, because, for instance, the first request, they might be able that you know, there's no grounds that they can um, refuse, but by the time they've received maybe the fifth one or the tenth one, or if they're a small, small business, it might even just be the second one, that might sort of limit the ability of the employer to be able to accept the requests. Um, and it, it's not something that's necessarily sort of in the NES, giving sort of directions or assistance to employers how to deal with that, but I think it's a, it's a valid concern. I think the way the NES is currently drafted, it's very much a situation where you reach tipping points. So there's no first come first serve. First come first serve. Yeah, which isn't which isn't necessarily if if it's in the NES though. I guess that's what I was trying to say before. If it's in the NES, then that's a right of all employees, and it it shouldn't be. It's a right of all employees to request, but because Mm. of the grounds on which you can refuse, it becomes employer based. and I think that's a distinction between the, what the NES, particularly the broadened NES, where you can have you know re- requests made by people over fifty-five, people with school-aged children, people with disability. You probably at least half the workforce could make a request, and because the re- reasons for a, response, a refusal are not entirely, but largely just on business grounds, you do reach a tipping point situation where the first person to ask is more likely to be accepted or more likely to be, um, the employer's more likely to not be able to legitimately refuse and say for a small business, the second or third person that asks, which is not necessarily in accordance with policy and it's definitely different to the way the disability legislation or the um, sex discrimination acts have worked in relation to these issues. Uh, For example, um, you're not able to say to somebody, if you've allowed a reasonable, you've allowed a flexible work arrangement request for someone who has a teenager because they have to take them to ballet lessons, for example, you can't then turn around, unless you've done it for a fixed term, which I always recommend, you can't then turn around and say, "Um, we're stopping that because someone else has made a request. So who might have a a one-year-old. So you're not putting in a value judgment, whereas, in most of the disability legislation, without getting into the technicality, there's some real issues around whether the person can comply with requirements. So, for example, the, the person with a, a 15-year-old they need to take to ballet lessons would have a lot of problems even establishing that they can't comply with certain requirements because there's so many other things that they could do. So they wouldn't even get there in the first place to be a point of consideration where compared to the broadness of the NES. Yeah. But you just hit on something very important there, there Helen, that, that really giving a time limit on the answer or, or, or you know, giving the answer subject to a review in a period of time, all critical. of those things are, are, are of critical importance. And, I mean, what's your thoughts as well on, um, on that, you know, the, the capacity to offer flexibility to others perhaps forming part of the circumstances um, in which you grant the request in the first place, and that might be a, a reason for for being a little more conservative. I mean, do, you, do you think it's valid for an in, employer, for example, if if somebody says, "Okay, I, I want to work three days a week, and I want to work from home all three of those days," 
um, to come back and consider the request and and say, well, no, we can we can we can take you from five days down to four days, and you can work two of those from home. Something I, like that. I think There's, it's I know, think it's critical, and I think it's critical that they um, any accepted request for flex or work arrangements be subject to a time frame and a review. Um, the the difficulties with not having that don't just impact on the workplace generally, but you can have situations when it comes to termination or redundancy or um, where people are then saying, well, what's my substantive job? So there's so many issues if you don't set out very clearly how long the period, the flexible request is given. But there's absolutely no problem, and I strongly encourage that the request responses, both negative, positive or slightly or half agreed to are all framed around it fitting in with other employees. For example, if you allow a job share arrangement, two days, three days, you make it clear that if either one stops wanting to do it, it's all over. Because otherwise the employer can be left with a situation where you've got someone working two days a week and then you have to recruit someone else to do the exact other job who can only work those other three days that fit in with somebody else's daycare. So being very explicit about what the yes is and what conditions might change to make the flexible work arrangement no longer viable are really important. So in that situation, you're saying that if if it was agreed that someone was two days and someone was three days, that would be contingent on both of them continuing. If yep. one were to leave, it would have to be reviewed because because sort of as you identified, the, the difficulties, I suppose, of maybe recruiting someone for three days a week. It's one of the most common things that I have seen go wrong is when people say, well, we're going to job share um, and, it, and the flex or work arrangement or contract not being made conditional on both people still being there. Although everyone knew that's what it was about because what you end up with is the employer having someone on two days, someone on three days, thinking it's going to job share and work beautifully and they're being a modern employer, but someone's daycare days change, someone's uh, other arrangements change, the whole thing falls apart and quite rightly the two employees are turning to the employer and saying well I've got this contractual entitlement, I've got this contractual entitlement, the employer is saying but this was only, I was only doing this if you all work together. So um, I'm a big, I'm very strongly for setting out exactly what the terms are and what will cause it to be reviewed. Yeah, so there was uh, some slight changes in um the obligations on employers in regarding uh, flexible working arrangements as of 1 December last year, um, and that's in relation to award-covered employees. Um, there was a new model term that was inserted into all modern awards, as I said, from 1 December. Um, so it's important to emphasise that these are in addition to the requirements in the Fair Work Act, um, and they're intended to sort of, I, I, I guess, build on those obligations. Um, the additional requirements and obligations in the, the model term um, means that the employer uh, now must or is required for award-covered employees to consult and genuinely try to reach an agreement. Um, and they have to take into regard things like the employee's needs, consequences for the employee if arrangements are not met, um, and also sort of the reasonable business grounds which we would talked about earlier. Um, that they might have to refuse a request. Um, the written response as well has to clearly set out in detail um, the reasons for the refusal, um, and that means setting out the reasonable business grounds that the employer is relying upon. 
Um, and the written response as well has to set out um, whether there are any other changes in working arrangements that the employer can, can accommodate. So, I mean, that might be where the employee has asked for to go three days a week and the employer says, well, we can't do three, but we can do four, things like that. Um, so that means as well um, for award covered employees, um, there's now a mechanism um, for them uh, where they feel that the request has not been properly discussed with them um, or not responded to as required, as I said, regarding sort of the, the requirements for that written response, um, they're able to go to the Fair Work Commission um, and, and have that um, sort of dealt with by them under the, the dispute resolution powers of the Fair Work Commission. Um, so Brian, what would you say are the legal risks for employers to consider uh, when they've received a request? Well, you know, firstly, and this, this is not just, you know, you were discussing the award covered employees, but, but just in, in general for everybody that's subject to the Fair Work Act and the National Employment Standards, it's important to recognise that any breach of the NES is a breach of a, of a civil penalty um, provision. Um, and I, I think it's, it's important to, to understand that, that those obligations need to be taken pretty seriously. Um, there's, a, there's a case, uh, Stanley and um, Service to Youth Council Incorporated um, from 2014 of the Federal Court where um, the court addressed the issue of whether an employer had failed to respond to a request for flexible working arrangements. Um, they, they didn't comply with the formal requirements of Section 65 within 21 days and the court actually awarded a, a, a pecuniary penalty of, of $4,000 under Section 546. Now, um, I think it's pretty important that's the, the, the fundamental one. It's, it's important to follow the formalities. Um, you know, burying your head in the sand about it is, is going to cause major issues. Uh, one thing about, uh, you know, breaching the national employment standards um, gen generally is that they are civil penalty provisions. However, um, the court can't make an order for a civil penalty um, on the reasonable business grounds point. So, you know, even though it's objectively measured and and in theory, um, if it were challenged and it, it were found that those those grounds weren't reasonable, um, th it would be a breach of the NES. Those that point is not a um, not a civil penalty provision. So you know you've got to act in good faith, obviously. But I mean the the court's not going to slap you with a penalty because you say one thing is reasonable, the employee says otherwise, and the court sides with them. But but absolutely in terms of the formalities, receiving the request in writing. Um, respond in writing um, the, the, within the 21 days, those are fundamental. And, and what's quite important also that, that comes up a fair bit is quite often it's the, the employer has to actually say to the employee, can you please put that request in writing? Because these yep. start as the kind of classic water cooler conversations, oh, do you mind if I just start working from home for the rest of my career? <laughs> and I think if they do want it to be a formal request, they have to make it in a formal way. So. So, you know, quite often, you know, that that's going to be the first part of, of the conversation. And it's, sorry, I'll just jump in there, Brian. It's probably important to emphasise as well what I just mentioned then about the new requirements in the award. Not complying with, or sorry, contravening a modern award is also um, potentially a, um, comes with a civil penalty. Yeah. 
So or an enterprise agreement. So yeah, section yep. section forty four makes the a breach of the NES a, a civil penalty. Um, forty five is is in relation to a contravention of a modern award, and and fifty is contravening. But those civil agreement, penalties so. are going to they're something that employers are really in practical terms only going to face if they don't follow the proper processes yeah. and do it formally yeah. Yeah. it's not being going to be because a, a court or tribunal might ha- take a different view in relation to what is um the reasonable, reasonable business, grounds. business grounds so one of the important takeaways from today is don't do the flexible work. it sounds a bit um counterintuitive but make arrangements about flexible work arrangements in a very formalistic manner yeah. don't just do it in an ad hoc manner because that's when you'll get into trouble yeah. as an employer and the other risk that um the other risk that employers face and this is really important to understand is that a request for flexible working arrangements even if there's reasonable business grounds to refuse the request making the request is the exercise of a workplace right so uh, you have to be very careful um you know, to, to, to respond formally, but also not to not to treat the employee adversely because they've made the request, because that's then getting yourself into into, into some pretty deep water with Part Three Point One of the Act, which is the General Protections Provision, which make it unlawful to um, take adverse action against an employee for, for exercising a workplace right. So um, I, th- that's important. If 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 the request needs to be refused in some way, then that's one part. But um, you know. Well, punishing the employee for making the request is, is, is going to be I think the Herard versus Roy Morgan yeah. research matter yeah. is, a, is a really clear example of that. It was quite a, a shocking case in many ways where the employee was on maternity leave, returned to work, made a request for flexible working arrangements, request that she uh, return to work 20 hours per week. Um, ultimately, the employer ended up just making her redundant and seemed to take... Um, I mean, that was quite a, a complex matter and quite shocking behaviour in that particular case on the on the part of the employer. But even in lesser cases, what Brian says is a real risk to be aware of. Do you avoid... If, if you can't meet the request, that is fine. Set it out in writing and explain why. But don't take it personally or react or say it as a sign that the person's not committed to that's, their work. Well, that's the classic yep. one, isn't it? You know, someone says, OK, I, I, I really only want to work two days a week and... I, I want to take most of those days as annual leave and and all the rest of it. The the classic reaction, which is oh, the, that person's heart's not in the game anymore, yeah. etc., becomes unlawful. It, it, it does. You've got to so, avoid those reactions yeah. and treat them the same. The other thing I would say, um, just before we touch on anti-discrimination legislation in Victoria and New South Wales, when it comes to re- accepting a flexible work arrangement request, um, in part or in full, Room of flexible work, something I feel quite strongly about, requires flexibility from both sides. Don't be um, scared to accept a, a request but put your own conditions on it. Like, you can work two days from home but you're going to have to stay back to such to do this on the day before you go because that's the only way it's going to work for the organisation. In my experience, those type of responses are the ones that may, mean that one, the, the arrangement's gonna work best if it does work um, at all, if it ends up coming into play, and two, if the employee resists it, 
you're going to be in the best possible position to show reasonable business grounds as to why you couldn't vary the terms at all because the employee just wasn't coming to the party. They thought it was all they thought. And unfortunately, we see a lot of this, but they thought flexible work was all about them doing less or having benefits, where actually it's about working flexibly. If the pay is the same, the value to the employer should be the same. It's just done flexibly. And as I say, it's something I feel quite strongly about. And it's also something to bear in mind whether or not you you need or there's an opportunity to to put into place an individual flexibility agreement at times too. If the flexible yep. work arrangement says, I want to work from home on a Sunday, make sure that you're not suddenly paying Sunday penalty rates for, for yep. something that used to be work that used to be performed on a Friday. If it is a, a, a request from the employee. You know, well, the t- that and that often you, does occur yeah. and it's one of the typical ones that can get an IFA through where you have two parents who want to work different hours so they can care for children. One might work in the evenings, one might work on weekends. If that's what they want and it fits in with your business needs, that's when um, if you think there's any risk your award covered, you put in the IFA as a matter of course just yeah. to make sure that it's clear that the reason one of them's not working standard hours is um, for their own uh, needs. Um, look, the anti-discrimination legislation, obviously time doesn't permit us to go into it in too much detail. I touched briefly on this earlier in relation to some of the differences. Um, in Victoria, under the Equal Opportunity Act, there is a right of parents and carers, a statutory right to pursue flexible work arrangements, and, if, um, and that can actually be challenged, um, the decision of the employer to the tribunal. Uh, so that's something to be very aware of where you're working in Victoria because that is uh, a different situation than in New South Wales. In New South Wales, under the Anti-Discrimination Act, um, it's unlawful for an employer to discriminate against an employee on the grounds of an employee's responsibility as a carer. It's also unlawful to discriminate on the grounds of disability and on age. So to a certain extent, the um, there's... The, National Employment Standard categories are also covered by the Anti-Discrimination Act and um, federal and state um, in most of the categories. So you have the possibility if you refuse a flexible work um, request of a person making a claim under anti-discrimination legislation. It is a lot more difficult for an, a person to establish discrimination because um, uh, they're going to have to show in effect that there's a condition or requirement in the workplace that they can't comply with because of their particular situation. So as I mentioned earlier, if it's a if it's a 15-year-old getting to a, a ballet lesson, for example, they're not, it's not necessarily going to be held to be something they necessarily could not comply with because of their caring responsibilities, all sorts of alternatives from you know, family, family Uber to, you know, that, that they'd have to explore before necessarily saying that this is something that puts them at a disadvantage from the um, comparator group. If you have a two-year-old, it might be a totally different circumstance. There's, there's also limits as well. And Helen, I don't know if it's worth mentioning the limits to the discrimination legislation generally in terms of inherent requirements and the rest of it. There, there's inherent yeah. requirements, but they are to some extent similar to the reasonable business yeah. grounds. Yeah. I was just saying, but even before you get into the situation where there's prima facie a case under the discrimination yeah. legislation. So, for example, if you have a disability, you might, um, you know, the definition of disability is incredibly broad. It's not enough for the discrimination legislation, unlike 
the right to request flexible work arrangements to just say you have a disability, so I yeah. want this. You actually have to need it yeah. to be able to... You, it, you actually need the reasonable adjustment to be able to do your job. It's not just you'd prefer to have it. And, and to me, that is a big, yeah. a big difference. Whereas in the, the way the, the legislation under Section 65 is currently drafted, whilst there's not as many teeth in reviewing the requests, no one's actually challenging at any point, and this may be okay, but it's something that I do query, whether the person making the request actually needs it as opposed to wants it. And before you make a huge impact on others in the workplace, sometimes I think, as in the disability discrimination, it's a better model that you really need it. But yep. that, that's just my personal view. Yeah. Um, in the case, in the Victorian uh, Police versus the Police Federation of Australia, quite recent and controversial case in relation to flexible work arrangements, there was an EA clause um, which entitled um, employees to make requests for flexible work arrangements in relation to child caring responsibilities, disability, experiencing domestic violence or having attained the age of 55 years, a 57-year-old detective with many years' experience made a flexible work um, request, which would involve a change in his roster from eight, five, eight-hour shifts to four, ten-hour shifts. This was refused. Um, there were discussions in relation to... Um, uh, with him by Victorian police in relation to him working part-time. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to maintain his hours and income. Um, Victorian police, uh, th this was challenged um, under the EA provisions to the commission and then because the Victorian police refused the request, saying it would um, create an unreasonable financial burden and also being worried about the fact that um, it could create a floodgates of people over 55 making such a request. Um, the Fair Work Commission found that the request could technically be accommodated um, and refused to find that there had been reasonable business grounds. Um, the full bench upheld the decision that the Victorian police lacked reasonable business grounds to refuse the long-serving um, employees' request for flexible work arrangements under the Enterprise Agreement. As I say, it's created quite a lot of controversy, largely for a number of reasons, but one of them being um, this is the first really public uh, request that's gone through the Commission involving someone that doesn't have young children. Yeah, well, that's... And, and that's one of the... One of the key things, to, that one of the key takeaways, although it was not mentioned in the case specifically, is that I think that where employers fall into error sometimes is thinking that flexible work arrangements are just about young children and, and parental responsibilities. And 99% and and of, the, of the requests are made on that basis, but um, it's important to realise that the same process needs to be followed. For the other categories. For the other categories. That's, the over yeah. 55. Yeah. yeah. And, and exactly as we discussed earlier, it's not for the employer to put their judgments. Because of the way the legislation is drafted, it's not for the employer or anyone else to put their judgments about the nature of the request um, in the same way as occurs in the discrimination legislation. The person has the right to make the request, whether they're 
like it's because they're over 55 or because they have young children or whether their child's 15 or two or whether they're a man yeah. or a woman and all these uh, and, and sometimes when the employer has a judgment about which type of people flex or work arrangements are for either conscious or unconscious they could get into error that's right the employer needs to focus on on the, on the business and what are the reasonable business grounds and and not be focused on whether they consider subjectively the request to be to be reasonable or not you know from from the employee's perspective so so really i think that's um that's wrapped it up for this week um you will be back in a fortnight um i hope we've we've covered off the flexible work arrangements topic in in some detail as i mentioned if you want to um if you want a copy of the book, let us know. Or if you want to, if you want to discuss any any of these aspects on a on a professional basis, always welcome. Give us a call. Thanks very much.